Amen. All righty. Well, hey, see if you guys can guess who this person is. You guys ready to go? Get your brains working. I know it's in the evening time. Here we go. He was born May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know who it is? All right, I'll give you a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> and at, at first, things seemed kind of normal with this young man until he started impaling the heads of animals he killed on stakes in his front yard. But that was just the beginning. Uh, as an adolescent, he started having fantasies of killing and mutilating men. And soon fantasies gave way to reality, and his first murder was in Ohio, 1978. Then a second murder followed in 1987, and soon uh, he killed another 15 young men, most of them in Milwaukee, over the next five years. His gruesome crimes not only involved the murder of men, but homosexual acts with them, involving cannibalism and necrophilia. And to dispose of his crime, he had a 57-gallon drum where he put the bodies in vats of acid and he reduced them to a black sludge and then poured them down a drain or flushed them down the toilet. But that's still not all. Sometimes he would boil their heads and spray them with paint uh, to make them look uh, fake and then keep them and the skulls in the closet. Or sometimes he would cut off parts of their bodies and put them into jars of formaldehyde. But in 1991, he was finally arrested, and in February 1992, he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life uh, terms. But in uh, November 28, 1994, he was murdered by another one of his inmates in prison. And it was this man's gruesome actions that placed him among the most notorious serial murders of all time. And of course, his name was? Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, kind of gives it away. Now, again, I know it's late, okay? And, uh, but I think you guys can get this. Hopefully this is not too tough of a question for you to answer. And get, get correct. Okay. But uh, if ever there was a guy who needed to get saved and have his sins forgiven, it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Can we agree on that one? Okay. <laughs> Just a little bit there. Okay. But you might be out there thinking, even tonight, uh, that I've heard many, many people say, uh, in, in fact, even unfortunately, I would say Christians, and that is this. You gotta, you're kidding me. I mean, I mean, come on. There's no sneaking way that God can save somebody like a Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, you might as well just give it up, right? There is no way that he would ever turn to Jesus Christ after what he did, okay? His heart's got to be way too hard. So therefore, it's absolutely useless trying to witness to a guy like that. He's too far gone. He'll never respond to the gospel. Well, folks, what I'm about to share with you is the actual interview, okay, of Jeffrey Dahmer with his father just before he was murdered in prison, okay? And you tell me if the power of the cross is not powerful enough to save somebody, anybody, including Jeffrey Dahmer. Let's take a look at that clip. Your dad has wondered about all kinds of things, from the medication that your mom was on during her pregnancy, to the fact that you were exposed to violent arguments in the home from an early age and continuing, to the possibility that he might have passed on some genetic propensity for obsession or violent behavior. Does any of that ring true to you? I can see why he'd wonder about those things, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're all excuses because I didn't feel accountable to anybody. I didn't feel that I had to to uh, face what I had done ever. And uh, so you, you have there comes a point where a person has to has to be accountable for what he's done. Can't go can't go around making excuses, uh, blaming other people or other things. So I, I alone am the one who's responsible for what's happened. Let me ask, when did you first feel that, that everyone is accountable for their actions? Well, thanks to you for, for sending uh, that uh, creation science uh, material. 
because I always I always believe the uh, the lie that uh, evolution is truth the theory of evolution is truth that we all just came from uh, the slime and uh, when we when we died you know that was it there was nothing so it, the whole theory cheapens life and uh, started reading books about how that show how evolution is, is just a complete lie. There's, there's, no, there's no basis in science to, to uphold it. And I've come to, since come to believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of uh, the heavens and the earth. It just didn't just happen. And uh, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that I, as, long, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. Interesting. Now, hey, if we're going to be consistent with other folks, if you go by a person's profession of faith, what does it look like? He's professing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, right? Oh, and by the way, did you catch the point? What was the uh, rationale that he admitted that he had as to why he did the ungodly things he did? Because in school he was taught what? There is no God, i.e. the lie of evolution. Ooh, so what a person believes determines how they behave. Well, that's a whole other story. We'll get into that uh, later. But obviously, if you're going to go by his words, it looks like, believe it or not, Jesus Christ, the cross, really does have the power to turn an actual killer into a born-again Christian with a brand new heart. Amen? Okay? And that's, that's pretty amazing, <laughs> to put it mildly. But here, here's the other point that I want you uh, to focus on, okay? And why are we doing these creation studies, okay? And that is, if you were listening, okay, what was the, if you will, witnessing technique? What was the thing that his father sent him to begin the process that God used to begin to turn them around. Creation versus evolution material. I believe it was from ICR, Institute of Creation Research, uh, is where he sent it. But it was creation versus evolution material. And that's where he began to realize that evolution is a lie. Okay? And that, yes, you are accountable to God for your actions, and there's only one way to be forgiven, and that's through Jesus. Okay? Which tells me this creation evolution stuff isn't just an issue over a worldview. Uh, it really is some powerful stuff. And it really is a powerful tool that God uses, if we get equipped with it, to save souls. Right? And that's why we're going to continue taking a look at our study, The Witness of Creation. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us to show us that he's not just real, but we really can have a personal, loving, beautiful, intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ uh, and his work on the cross, as Jeffrey Dahmer apparently found out. And we've already seen that first evidence. We took a look at it for 10 different weeks, uh, believe it or not. How many guys are glad it wasn't all in one week? 10 different weeks, all right? And that was the evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. We saw there the 11 evidences was the evidence of the universe, the solar system, the human body, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, bacteria kingdom, symbiotic relationships, genetic similarities. Don't you just love that woodpecker graphic? That just gets you every time, doesn't it? It does me. Uh, but anyway, genetic similarities and how even science, we finished up with science, uh, demonstrates uh, God's intelligent design. True science, that is, not bunk science like evolution, okay? Uh, but that's not all, okay? Uh, Mickey, I'm starting to preach on this again, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, there's got to be more, and there is. Uh, the second evidence showing us that uh, God's not only real, but the good news, we really can have a personal relationship with him, and that's the evidence of a young creation or a young earth. Have we really been here for millions and billions of years? No. Believe it or not, shocker, it's another, another lie of evolution. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. He debunks all that, believe it or not, if you know where to look in the Bible. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's our opening text here. 
And um, if you find Matthew, what do you do? Hang around. And, and move. Throw in a move. You can't, can't, you can't lose on a move. That's right. <laughs> Mark chapter 10. Let's take a look here. Now, the context is you turn here. Of course, the Pharisees are trying to stump Jesus uh, with a question. Okay? How many guys would say that's a major lesson in futility? I'm going to stump God. As if he <laughs> didn't keep him from trying, apparently, the Pharisees. And uh, so they're going to try to get him with a trick question with marriage. Uh, and actually, they're trying to st- uh, stir up a debate, you know, because there's two different views back in the culture on marriage and should you divorce, not divorce, and all that stuff. But uh, Jesus uh, cuts to the chase and all that, okay? But in, in the midst of the answering that question that they were trying to get at Jesus, okay, he makes something very interesting, an uh, interesting point that shows that we have not been here for millions and millions of years, okay? So let's take a look at that. Mark chapter 10, verse 1 says this. Jesus then left that place and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Well, some Pharisees came, and they tested him, aha, by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, and Jesus replied, well, what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Okay, well, by the way, they, they expounded on that and went even further, and they, they even had, uh, I believe in the day, that uh, if your wife, to use a vernacular, if, if your wife burned your toast, and you didn't like it, you could divorce her. I mean, it got ridiculous, right? And anyway, but then, then uh, Jesus said, well, hey, listen, it was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you that law. And uh, Jesus replied, but at the what? Beginning of what? Creation. Then he defines what that beginning point was. God made them male and female. Who's he talking about there? Adam and Eve. That's the beginning point. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Men, how many of you guys remember that verse? Raise your hand, score some points, especially if your wife's here, because that was probably read at your marriage ceremony, right? It's the Genesis account he's referring to. Uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? And so what we see here in our text from Jesus, mind you, Okay, he's answering the question about marriage, and in order to do that, he goes back to the very first account of the very first man and the very first woman of Adam and Eve. And as we all know, that's the very first account where the very first woman ate the very first man out of house and home. Okay, but anyway, and did you guys know that some theologians, we don't know, uh, like with the rapture, we don't know the exact day, right? We don't know the exact day in this context when Adam and Eve were created, okay? But some scientists have determined that Adam must have been created sometime in the afternoon because the Bible says he was created just before Eve. Yeah, let's just continue on. Uh, But seriously, Tom, that's right. Thank you. Now you're paying attention. Notice what Jesus said in that text there uh, about the very first marriage. He said it was the very first marriage. That's the pattern that he's answering the question. It was the very first marriage because it was literally the very first or the beginning point of creation. Right? Therefore, here's the point in bringing that up. From the lips of who? Jesus himself, he declared that the literal account of creation in Genesis was the actual literal beginning. Right? Now here's the point. If you start with Adam and Eve and you add up the dates in the Bible, go through all the genealogies and get crazy with your calculator, you'll come up with roughly around 6,000 years or so, give or take, okay? But around 6,000 years or so, okay? And this is why I got a problem with these big, huge dates with a, as a, crea- uh, a Christian, okay? And the first obvious problem, according to our text, is <clears throat> if you stop and think about it, evolution, therefore, calls Jesus Christ a liar. 
right? It calls Jesus a liar. This is not a small issue. Either Jesus tells the truth or he doesn't. He said Adam and Eve was the beginning point, okay, around 6,000 years ago, okay? But what does evolution teach? Did they teach what Jesus taught? A literal Adam, a literal Eve, a literal garden, roughly uh, 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 6,000 years ago? No. They say we came from a cosmic burp to a crustacean to a caveman over millions and billions of years, right? I'm sorry, you can't mesh those two. They both can't be right. And they don't fit together, okay? One's telling the truth and one's not. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this is calling Jesus Christ a liar, okay? And how many guys would say, man, pick a different hobby once again, do something else, but don't call Jesus a liar. Okay, you're not going to win on that one, okay? And, and again, what you have to understand is this timing issue when it comes to evolution uh, is the Achilles heel of evolution. This is it, man. This is, this is their weak point, okay? Because if you don't have tons of time, the whole thing falls on its face. The whole thing, the whole lie of evolution, the whole make-believe story of evolution is dependent upon massive amounts of time. And they even admit this. Let's take a look at this quote. This is uh, Time Becomes the Hero. This is George Wald. He's the late professor of biology at Harvard. And listen to what he said. He said, time is in fact the what? The hero of the plot. The time with which we have to deal with is of the order of two billion years. Really, were you there? Do you have a watch that's still clicking from that? Well, how do you know? Right? I'm telling you folks, they just make this stuff up to fit their theory. He says, what we regard as impossible on the basis of human experience is meaningless here. And do you know what he just said? He says, listen, we don't see any evidence of this as we saw before. We see no evidence of evolution in existence right now. We don't see it happening today. But that's meaningless because long ago, far away, we'll get to that in a second, right? This becomes their hero. You never see it now, but way back then, surely it happened. Well, first of all, stop calling me Shirley. Let's move on. Uh, given so much time, the impossible becomes possible, even the impossible of evolution. The possible probable, and the probable virtually certain. One only has to wait because time itself performs the what? His words, the miracles. I thought you'd deny that. But anyway, that's, that's what he needs. And I'm glad he used that miracle because that is what it would take in order for evolution uh, to come true, okay? And basically what he's saying, pay attention. Let me break that down for you. He's saying this, just given enough time in a land far, far away, something mystical, something magical will surely take place. And if you think about when you were growing up as a kid or if you read to your grandkids, uh, that sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? In a land far, far away. In fact, that's exactly what it is, okay? Let's do a comparison. Let's remind ourselves what is the basis of a fairy tale. Okay, and let's take a look at that. Uh, first of all, you got a frog, but not just any frog, uh, a talking frog who really just wants to get a, a, a pucker from a, a girl for some reason. But, but we don't see that today. That's why it's in a land far, far away. This frog is in a land far, far away. And he has some chance encounter with a princess, right? And for some reason, this princess can't get a date or something, or I don't know, or she's practicing on a frog, getting ready for prom. I don't know. Okay, but it's just some chance random encounter, right? And because of that chance random encounter in this land far, far away, uh, all of a sudden, out pops a prince. It creates a prince. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's a fairy tale, right? Put evolution side by side, folks, and it's the exact same thing. They got the same thing in a land far, far away. We never see it today, but, you know, time just millions and billions of years ago. And then they say, uh, and you just add chance, some chance encounter. With what? I don't know, but in a land far, far away. Right? It's the same, exact same thing. And then somehow, over millions of years, even though we don't see it today, all of a sudden, a chance encounter produces a creature. Go ahead and wave at him. 
Worked really hard on that animation there for you guys. Look at that. Ooh, he's a little neat guy. But folks, if you take a look at it, it's the exact same thing, okay? And uh, it, it's pretty crazy, okay? But you might be thinking, well, come on, Pastor Bill, are you serious? Once again, this is another line from evolution. I mean, how many guys, it almost seems like every day, well, it, could, it could even be on commercials. I mean, it's on the TV, it's on the media, it's in the schools. Kids who love dinosaurs, name a kid who doesn't love dinosaurs. The very first page uh, of any book on dinosaurs, what's it usually start out with? Millions of years ago. I mean, it's everywhere. You mean to tell me that these guys are lying when it comes to these dates? Yes, they are. In fact, they, once again, like with evolution, they, they want us to think that it's all based on hardcore scientific facts. And you can, this is so sure we all agree. They don't even agree with each other. And there's nothing consistent about it. The same thing when it comes to these dates. The only thing that I would say agrees with evolution about their dates is their dates evolve. They keep changing. Let me give you just one example when it comes to a, a dating the universe. Okay, here's the process that it's gone through. Okay, what's the age of the universe? Well, in 1650, you had this guy, Bishop James Usher. He calculated a creation day of Sunday, October 23rd, 4,000 B.C., or about 6,000 years ago. Now, uh, I don't know, maybe you guys hooked on math. You can come to the same conclusion. I seriously doubt you can get the exact day uh, and know that it was on a Sunday on October 23rd, but, but roughly, if you add up the dates, that's what you get. And by and large, most of Western civilization, that's what they believe. Okay, is that we haven't been here that long. Okay, it's a matter of thousands, not millions, certainly not billions. But in 1760, all of a sudden it got cranked up to 75,000 years. Why? Well, there's two guys, maybe we can get to this some other time, uh, that began to change the, the mindset of the people. First of all, you had in Western civilization the age of reason, the rise of humanism and things, the rational movement and things of that nature began to break away from the biblical uh, uh, training and mindset and concept. But you had a couple other guys. You had this guy, Charles Lyle, and you had another guy named uh, James Hutton, okay, especially with James Hutton about this time. And he began to uh, come up with and with Lyle these things called the geologic column, which they're making up these big dates. So that starts to infiltrate the minds of people. Okay, and then you got in 1831, they said, no, 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 it's 240 million years old. So these guys starting to work their influence uh, into there as well. Uh, then this is post-Darwin, right? Now it's in 1897. No, it's 400 million years old. 1905, it was 500 million to 1.64 billion years old, Tom. Uh, 1928, no, 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 it's 2 billion years old, the universe. No, 1947. Uh, three billion years old. You know, it was after World War II, inflation was going up, so maybe the universe uh, was going up as well. Uh, 1952, I love this. <laughs> one to ten billion years old. I mean, come on, how is that exact? Even just in that one estimation there, one to ten billion. That's, that, how many guys would say that's kind of a, a, quite the variance? How would you like to have that variance level the next time you take a math test? Right? Well, I think it's really, it's between one and ten... How many guys glad you don't have to take math tests anymore? <laughs> I just put it in the, How would you guys like to have that variance the next time you fill out your taxes? Well, I think I'm, oh, between one and two. Right? And these guys do it all the time. It's supposed to be exact. It's crazy, okay? Uh, 1987, it was 8 billion years old. 1995, uh, 12 billion years old. Now, what is that? Do the math on that. That's eight years later, it went up 4 billion. No wonder we're feeling old and tired. Do you notice that? We're, we're aging, just sitting here. I wonder what it's up to now. Let's get here. 1997. No, no, it's 13 billion years old. Okay. 1999, 
four billion years old. Uh, 2001, 14.8 billion years old. And the current is roughly around 15 billion years old. Although, if you will Google it, they'll now say it's 13.8 billion years old. But that depends on what source you're looking at. I'm not making this up. Another one I just even checked today because I'm telling you it changes all the time. Uh, people say, no, 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 it's, it's 13.8. But another source was saying, even today, it's anywhere from, listen to this variance, 10 to 20 billion years old. And, and we're supposed to trust these guys. They know what they're talking about, and it's consistent, and you can go to town on it. You can bank on this. It's crazy, folks, okay? It's not a very stable timeline. At least Jesus sticks to the same account, Okay? But these guys are all over the place, okay? It's not a steady science, okay? But I'm telling you, folks, that's the tip of the iceberg, okay? Now let's move from that unstable timetable to some scientific facts showing that, yes, Jesus Christ is not a liar, okay? And the first evidence showing us he's not a liar, we really do have a young creation, folks, is the evidence from space, okay? Space. And the Lord will, next week, we'll get into the earth and other kinds of neat things. But let's take a look from space, folks. There's no way we have been here for millions and billions of years. Now, again, as I go through this stuff, notice it's not going to take all of these to prove the point. It just takes one. And there's a whole lot more than one, and I'm not going to deal with all of them. I'm just going to give you a smattering of a few. How about star clusters? Star clusters contain hundreds of thousands of stars that are moving and held together by gravity. Okay, that's cool, but here's the problem. In some clusters, the stars are moving so fast <clears throat> that they could not have been held together for millions and billions of years. Okay, they should have long since flown apart or become unclustered by now, right? So think about it. Since we still have clusters of stars, the age of the universe should be measured in thousands of years, not billions of years. Why do we still have the clusters? It's just the first one. How about supernovas, okay? Anybody ever drive a Chevy Nova? That's not what I'm talking about, by the way, supernovas, okay? You thought you were super driving that Nova, okay? But anyway, cool. I had one of my worst encounters ever in, what was that, a 76 Nova, my sister, I'm digressing, but this was hilarious. I don't know if I've ever told this story. I guess it's on tape. <laughs> we live, we brought my sisters. I, I can't believe we even made it to California. My brother and I went one summer drove from Kansas to California in her 76 Nova. No air conditioning, nothing, right? And so we're going up through Nebraska from Kansas and coming back down. We're going through Utah, do through the salt flats, right? And we are just, uh, no air conditioning, right? Uh, in the summer, in the salt flats, right? And we're parched for uh, thirst, whatever, our lips are all chapped or whatever. And lo and behold, as fate would have it, I noticed that in the passenger seat, in the front seat there, um, my sister apparently had uh, some cherry uh, uh, chapstick, cherry-flavored chapstick, and it rolled out, and I go, hey, whoa, wow, oh, praise God, right? And so I popped that up, and I uh, told my brother, hey, we got, we got some chapstick. Oh, man, praise God. And so we're, we're putting the chapstick all over, really, a whole bunch, right? Because we're just like, Ugh. Right? And so he puts it on whatever, and so put it back down. And so we're driving, I don't know how many miles, right? We're just looking around, cars are passing us, until happened to look in the side rear mirror, look like total clowns. It wasn't cherry chapstick. It was, it was, it was cherry lip gloss, and we put it all over, man. We, weren't, we didn't look in the mirror. We looked like clowns. All we were missing was the white paint. We thought people were waving at us. They were as they were driving by. But anyway, Chevy Novas is not what I'm talking about. It's a supernova. <laughs> and when big stars run out of fuel, they, become, they explode, okay, and they become what we call supernovas, okay? Now, according to astronomical theory, uh, in galaxies of our size anyway, approximately 7,250 supernova remnants should be visible if we've really been around for billions of years. 
But if we look at the creationist age, our, what we see in the Bible, we should expect to find anywhere from 125 to 200 supernova remnants. All right? So let's put it to the test. What do we find? The actual number of supernova remnants visible from the earth is 205, which is almost spot on to the creationist uh, timetable, way off uh, from the evolutionist of billions of years. doesn't work. How about the existence of comets? The number of comets are decreasing due to decay and uh, made up of like ice particles. It's like throwing a snowball. It just eventually will start to fall apart. Uh, they're continually disintegrating, and a number of them have known to already break up. Evidently, all of them self-destruct within relatively a short period of time, uh, and it's believed that the lifespan of a comet only lasts about how long? 10,000 years. Hmm, interesting. So think about this. Here's the problem. If comets only last 10,000 years and the age of the universe is supposed to be billions of years, why do we still have comets? Hmm, that's really interesting, isn't it? The existence of comets shows that the universe has to be measured at least, bare minimum, less than 10. But even more than that because we still got them. And again, that agrees with the biblical account. How about hydrogen? Hydrogen is constantly being converted into helium throughout the universe. Now here's the problem though. If the universe were billions of years old, uh, there would be no or almost no hydrogen left, okay, because it's converting into helium. Uh, it should have long since disappeared by now. But an uh, astronomy professor, Fred Hoyle, said the universe consists almost entirely of what? Hydrogen still. Therefore, it shows us the universe has to be still quite young or it wouldn't be around like it is today. How about some planets' rings? The rings of Saturn and Jupiter are primarily composed of ammonia and pebbles of various sizes. And the problem is this. Scientists are trying to figure out why the rings are still there. And the reason why is because we've really been here for how long? Billions of years. You guys can join in anytime you'd like. Billions of years. Uh, they should have been vaporized into outer space long ago or been destroyed by meteoroids. Okay? And if that wasn't enough, Jupiter's magnetic field should have swept them out by now. And furthermore, the rings of Saturn are still distinctly bright when the debris excuse me, left behind by comets should have caused those rings to turn dark by now. But they aren't, okay? They're not dark. They're still bright, as though they haven't been around for that long. Very interesting. How about planets are cooling? This is cool. Jupiter and Saturn are cooling off rapidly, okay? In fact, they're losing heat twice as fast as they're gaining it from the sun. Here's the problem. If they were billions of years old, they should have been cold stone by now, right? Think about it, but they're not. They're not stone cold, okay? They're still hot, and they haven't been around that long, just like a cup of coffee sitting on the, a coffee table. So let me give you an example. Ron comes over to my place. Hey, Ron, come on over Saturday. Just want to chat, you know, have some good Christian fellowship. And he comes on over, and he notices that I already got it made. There's a piping hot cup of coffee uh, right there on the table. And, uh, and he goes to grab it, and then I start yelling at him, Stop! Ron, whatever you do, don't touch it. Don't touch that coffee. It's going to fry you. It's going to burn. It's going to burn your other hand. It's going to mess you up. Stop. And then Ron asked me the question, well, why? And then I would respond like this, because it's been there for 15 billion years. Now, what would Ron say? He'd probably tell me to lay off the coffee. All right, get a better night's sleep. Do something, because I'm going to call Bill Wimbley and the rest of the deacons. And we're going to lay hands on you. So, I, What? Well, see, that's the same problem, folks. These planets are cooling off. We can measure that. We know that. Okay? But if you've really been around for 15 billion years, they should be stone cold by now. Why are they still piping hot like a cup of coffee that was recently made? Right? It's the same thing. That's the whole point that's going on there. How about the appearance of Venus? The high uh, surface temperatures on Venus 
combined with other surface features, support a young age for Venus, okay? Uh, here's the problem. If the planet were 4 billion years old, as taught by evolution, its dense atmosphere would have uh, long ago uh, worn away all the craters, but it hasn't, okay? They're still there. And this is why they even admit this. This guy, Richard Kerr, he wrote this in Science Magazine, by the way, called Ven Venus is looking what? Too pristine. In other words, can I translate that for you? It's really messing up our theory. Okay, <laughs> he said this, listen, the Venus flybys have shown that the planet to be young in the what? Not just young, young in the extreme. Uh, when they read the geological clock that tells them how old the Venusian uh, surface is, they find a planet on the brink of what? Adolescence. Really? Well, that's, that's pretty interesting uh, there. But how about the appearance of Mars? Just like Venus, neither can Mars be billions of years old. Because in only a few thousand years, the type of harsh dust storms occurring on Mars that we see would have uh, eroded away the, its many craters and volcanoes, but it hasn't. They're still there. And it also, the long-term erosion would have obliterated the strong color differences on the surface of Mars. But as you can see, that's the actual photograph. Uh, it hasn't. It's still full of color. So that's another evidence for that. How about the sun, solar wind? This is cool. Like a giant vacuum cleaner, the sun with all the gravity and stuff, the sun sweeps up almost 100,000 tons of inflow per day. It's like a giant space vacuum. How many guys would like to have a vacuum cleaner that powerful? Wouldn't that be awesome? So you see, you think you do, but you don't. Because as soon as you turned it on, it would not only get rid of the dirt, of course. Yes, it would. It'd get your carpet first, then the wood underneath, then the house, then probably you, and we'd have to pray for you. Okay, <laughs> that's what it is. It's like a giant vacuum cleaner, right? sucking up all the old space particles, okay? Uh, at the same time, the sun's radiation pushes the small dust particles outward into space. Well, for those of you hooked on science, uh, this is called the Poynting-Robertson effect, right? Now, here's the problem. If the solar system were really what? Billions of years old. That's right, Bowie. Uh, like evolution teaches. <laughs> then the solar system should have what? Swept clean by now. If that vacuum been on that long? Uh, but it's not. These microparticles are still abundant. Therefore, our solar system still has to be what? Quite young, certainly. Uh, how about the size of the sun? The sun is discovered to be shrinking in size, which means it used to be bigger. How many of you guys can figure that out without any help? You're on the ball. That's right. Now, here's the problem. If the solar system was 4.6 billion years old, the sun, shrinking at a rate, a constant rate of about 0.1% uh, uh, per century, okay, uh, would have been so big, it would have made life on Earth impossible. The increased gravitational attraction would have pulled the Earth and other planets into it. How many guys would say that would seriously ruin your plans for Memorial Day weekend? Right? You probably wouldn't get around to it. Okay? Uh, but speaking of barbecues, uh, as little as 50,000 years ago, the sun would have been uh, so large that our oceans would boil and far less time, 25,000 years, all of life would have been barbecued. Now, you could have saved some money on that propane, but you wouldn't be able to enjoy your food. You would have been cooked too, okay? Uh, how about isotopes on the moon? Isotopes known as U-236 and TH-230, which are short-lived isotopes, they were found in the lunar materials. Hmm, it created a problem. You see, if the moon was a vast age, these isotopes would have long since decayed, okay, uh, and would be absent from the samples. But they're in relative abundance, showing us that the age of the moon has to only be in thousands of years, not billions of years. Okay, a couple more here. The moon's distance. The moon is moving away from the earth at a rate of about two inches per year. It's about the same rate of speed when you're waiting in line there at Walmart. Yeah, we'll go on. Uh, that means it used to be closer. How many guys can figure that out? Okay, it's moving away. All right, so it used to be closer. All right, now here's the problem. Do the math. 
just a few million years ago, the moon would have been so close to the earth that the moon's gravitational pull on the earth, which controls the tidal activity on the earth, would have created tides that would destroy the earth twice a day. I said it before, I'll say it again. It's been clinically proven that you can only drown once a day. Continue on. Secondly, the more time you add, therefore, logically, then the closer the moon gets, right? Which have been totally catastrophic for life on earth. In fact, some would say that maybe this is what killed off the dinosaurs. The moon got so close, Tom. They don't want to believe in the Bible. They don't want to admit that it was a flood. We've heard them come up with theories like it was constipation or they got dumb or it was a parasite. I'm not kidding you, okay? But maybe this is what it was, okay? Uh, they got mooned, you know? It got so close, it smacked them in the head, at least the tallest ones. But see, the little ones didn't escape, Tom, because the big dinosaurs with the big necks, the breath, yeah, exactly. You know exactly where we're going. But they fell on the smaller ones and squished them and killed them. That's what happened. Hey, turnabout is fair play. If you're going to make a fairy tale, I guess we get to make up one too, okay, is what we're seeing, okay? But I don't know about you, but uh, I would say, folks, that uh, those scientific facts, what? Scientific facts, just from space, and we're just getting started, it's kind of hard on the evolutionary timeline. How about you? Okay, just a little bit. And again, what you've got to keep in mind, folks, this is the Achilles heel of evolution. If they don't have this big bunch of time, the whole thing, by definition, falls flat on its face. It completely crumbles. This is why they push it. This is why they brainwash kids from wee high. As soon as they pick up that book on the dinosaurs, they've got to get them believing it right now. Millions of years old. And it's not based at all on scientific facts. And again, uh, remember, it just takes one of these facts i didn't have to go through all those it just takes one to destroy the theory right and yet that's just the tip of the iceberg but usually at this point if you guys are familiar with this uh, debate with the evolutionists when it comes to how long have we been here they usually throw something out like this oh yeah well we know tom that we've been here uh for millions uh, millions of years because of starlight you ever heard that starlight and what they say is they'll say, we know that it can't be 6,000 years old because we know it has to be billions of years old uh, because the galaxies and stars out there are billions and millions of light years away and that's how long it took for the light to get here to Earth so therefore we couldn't be here for 6,000 years. Right? Have you heard, heard that? It's usually a, a, a comeback, okay? Well, first of all, uh, you as an evolutionist bringing that up to the creationist, the Christian, who takes the Bible literally, you're actually guilty of hypocrisy. Because they'll usually bring that out, even though it just takes one of those, and you could go to town on a whole lot more. We will, Lord willing. Okay? And it just takes one. But they'll invariably bring up this whole starlight issue. Like, how do you explain that it takes billions of years or millions of years for starlight to reach a, a place? Okay? Well, first of all, you're being hypocritical. Because by definition of, of evolution, you have the same problem. Okay? In fact, they know it's a problem. Okay? In fact, they call it the horizon problem. Check it out. Okay, and if they believe that the universe has been here for 13.8 billion years old, listen, uh, there's not enough time for light to travel from the Big Bang from one end of the universe to the other. So if you think that you're going to throw this out at the creationists and say, aha, we got you, you got the same problem as far as how did the light get from one end of the universe to the other. But unlike the, uh, uh, so that's called hypocrisy, but unlike uh, the evolutionists, we Christians have an answer, okay? And the problem is, when they bring up this issue, when it comes to starlight, they're making a faulty assumption. You're assuming that light has always traveled at the same speed, that it's constant and it's not. And this is a well-documented fact. In fact, they've not only have stopped the speed of light, 
but they've sped it up even faster. Light is not a constant, which means maybe it was a whole lot faster when God said, let there be light. Let's take a look at that evidence. The entire theory behind a black hole is that light can be attracted by gravity. Well, if light can be attracted by gravity, then you cannot say the speed of light is a constant. Okay? At Harvard University back in 99, they slowed light down to 38 miles an hour. The next year they slowed it down to one mile an hour, and the next year brought it to a dead stop. Light goes, you know, pretty quick, 186,000 miles a second. They slowed it down. It was done at Harvard, it was done at Smithsonian, it was done at Cambridge University. A repeatable, demonstrable experiment. Now that is science. If you do an experiment, get a result, somebody else follows your data, does the same experiment, gets the same result, that's science. They slowed light down. This article came out on Fox News Channel. They said, we've succeeded in holding a light pulse still. They brought the speed of light to zero, brought it to a dead stop. Meanwhile, back in 2000 at Princeton University, they speeded light up to 300 times the speed of light. Astronomer Barry Setterfield, an Australian government astronomer, said, during the last 300 years, 164 measurements of the speed of light have been published using 16 different measurement techniques. The speed of light has apparently decreased so rapidly, experimental error cannot explain it. Clear back in 87, they said, the speed of light was 10 billion times faster at time zero. There must have been a faster speed of light. There have been articles from the 80s, 90s, 2000s saying, look, the speed of light is not a constant. They said, no physical law prevents anything from exceeding the speed of light. In two published experiments, the speed of light was apparently exceeded by as much as a factor of 100. Uh, Dr. Magluelchi, however you pronounce his name here, I got his book on the table. He says, the shocking possibility is the speed of light might change in time during the life of the universe. Could it be the speed of light was faster? There's an article in uh, the newspaper said, speed of light may have changed over history, study says. Winnipeg Free Press, nothing's reliable, not even the speed of light. We have shown that a time-varying speed of light could provide a resolution to well-known cosmological puzzles. Hmm. Including the puzzle, how in the world did starlight get here to the Earth uh, if supposedly we've been here for billions of years? Well, and that's just it. You're, you're making a faulty assumption. Maybe the reason why it appears that it would take billions of light years uh, for the light to get here to earth from the stars is because that's just it. It appears that way today because the speed of light wasn't traveling the same back then as it was today. Okay, when God said, let there be light, it was probably traveling a whole lot faster. Okay, and has no problem getting here in plenty of time, not disagreeing with known science. Okay, no problem whatsoever uh, with that. Therefore, you can't use distant starlight uh, to try to say that we haven't been around for 6,000 years. Again, you got the same problem, but at least we have an answer to that. Okay, and by the way, God is an infinite God. Could it very well be possible that he used some sort of mechanism that we don't know about? I mean, after all, he is infinite. But still, that's a pretty good explanation, I think, for doing that. And it doesn't disagree with science. But that's not all. The second scientific evidence showing us that Jesus Christ is not a liar, we haven't been around for millions and billions of years, is the evidence from the earth, Okay. But uh, we're going to have to get into that, Lord willing, uh, next week. And, but I will give you one uh, little thing. Have you ever thought about this? If the earth has really been here for billions of years, based on the erosion rates, why do we still have mountains? Shouldn't they have long since eroded flat by now? That's the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. Let's go ahead and let's pray. 
Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us 
the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. 
If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.